Cool. Hello and welcome to this week's True Crime Special here on PFP Media. I'm going to tone it down just a little bit because this isn't going to be a, a crazy pod. The idea of this is just to have it. Um, a bit of fun and do something a little bit different to the normal football-based content that we normally churn out on a, on a Monday morning. Uh, it's a Friday afternoon. Um, I've got a I've got a drink here with me. I think Joe's on some sort of cold beverage as well. Yeah, I'm drinking an uh, an iced coffee. Uh, it might have something else in it, and it might not be in an iced coffee glass. It might be in a martini glass, but we'll call it an iced coffee. Okay. <laughs> You've just shown me off screen there, Joe, that you, you have a Guinness um, keeping cold. Uh, if, mm. if, you're watch, if you're watching the video here, you might enjoy what Joe's got. Maybe, maybe you can yeah. give a description of what he's holding. Yeah, so I, I have here a, a Dunn Stores freezer bag. And in it, uh, if I can put it up to the camera, maybe not. Uh, well, anyway, <laughs> in it, I, I have a, a bag of ice, a can of Guinness and uh, a Guinness pint glass. So uh, it, it's, it's effectively my, my very own carrying you know carry fridge in the hand that i can just carry around and it'd be very useful for when i i finish my espresso martini and i want to dive into into a gorgeous pint of guinness like rafe is doing right now so we we said that we do something different we've talked about this on the football show for a few weeks now and and we've been teasing people with this uh the idea of of a true crime special now joe i I left it down to you to uh come up with the subject matter for this i don't know if we want to reveal straight away what what we're going to do maybe do you want to Talk about why we decided to do something a bit different. Yeah, I suppose the, the for, for, for me, I don't like football anymore. <laughs> I mean, that's a bit that's a bit over the top. I I do like football. I suppose the thing is, we both have other interests, and we both like talking. Um, I think anyone who is is blatantly clear that anyone who has a podcast likes their side of their own voice. Um, that, that's an accusation that's definitely been labelled at Ray for myself over the years by by our, our wider friend circle and our our our, our better halves. And um, this is just a, a really nice opportunity while we both have a bit of extra time to talk about something that y- you don't usually hear us talking about. And we were kind of thinking. Do we want to make it political? Do we want to talk about current affairs? Uh, and that's a very um, specific and, and, and perhaps dangerous road to go and down. And it's also boring for a lot of people, Matt. It, it is boring for a lot of people. And, and, and I think for me, one, one, one of the things that I like about the best podcasts, and for me, for me the best podcast is the Joe Rogan Experience, because um, for me, it's effectively the Beatles of podcasts because it's simultaneously the best and the most popular which is is very rare but rogan what makes rogan so good is that is that he gets such a diverse uh, group of people on and that he doesn't really have a definitive type of podcast and and and, and the one that we stumbled upon the other day uh, fits into the true crime model that we wanted to to start with and by no means is this going to be the only extra podcast that we that we do is it's what we've chosen to start with uh, and basically Rafe I think we just want to have some fun with it don't we and spend some more time together in a virtual setting. <laughs> now you, you, you initially gave me a few suggestions Joe you, you, you mm. suggested some form of Robin Hood robberies and some some Lego conspiracies. Yeah the Robin Hood robbery I kind of I think I talked about it on the football podcast before was that the one where the 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 guys in Milan scaled the the um the the elite apartment block and robbed jewelry and then went back down and then there was the the, the Lego story I can't remember what city that was in I think it, it might have been Paris, Paris. Yeah. yeah where someone had st- there had been a theft of of Lego um, <laughs> and it had some sort of significance but I I, I mean w- once I stumbled across this story. I immediately knew that we had to use it. And without me saying to you that we had to use it, that was your initial response as well. It was like, that's the, that's the one. It was, it's just such a unique story and, and it's, it's absolutely fascinating. I can't wait to get into it. Yeah, okay. Well, look, we, we might, as well, might as well introduce it. So um, the, the man, I suppose, that we're going to be talking about, the, the stimulus for, for the conversation, um, is a guy named Michael Scott Moore. Uh, Joe, do you want to tell us a little bit about Michael? So as far as I'm aware, Michael Scott Moore is an American uh, journalist based out of Berlin. And going back about 10 years, he had stumbled across a story involving Somali pirates who had uh, captured a German ship in the Gulf of Aden or somewhere around the, the Horn of Africa where they would have been been based. And, but then they got captured and they'd been on trial in, in, in Berlin, in, in, in Germany. And he'd been covering it as a reporter, but then he wanted to write a book, you know, delving into 
some Mali pirates and, 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 you know, bringing their story to the Western world, because when we hear of Somalia, we just associate them with pirates, but perhaps we don't modern day piracy, but perhaps we don't know why uh, th th this is so prevalent there. And what are the socio the exact socioeconomic conditions that Somalis are, are, are living under? So he went to Somalia with another guy, another journalist, and they hired local security and they were there for 10 days. And on the 10th day after it, he had just. It, yeah. it, end, it ended happily at that stage. It, it was a happy ever after, uh, happy, a happy, <laughs> a happy ever after. He, he went home happily to to his family, and um, that's yeah. the end of the show. And he wrote his book, and it was a bestseller. The end. Not not quite. His friend got away. His friend, his friend, they, he dropped his friend off at the airport, and then uh, as he was going back to his car, uh, an SUV full of. Uh, lads with Kalashnikovs pulled up and he was he was swiftly pulled out of his car and, and put into this new car and uh, he was he was held captive in various places in in uh, in Somalia for two years and eight months um before a ransom of 1.6 million dollars was paid um and he was he was able to to walk away a free man just just insane and I think for for from my perspective he he he, he must be in a real minority in the world of people who are held captive in these situations and actually live for a variety of reasons. But I mean, being able to walk away uh, from this situation is, 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 is very rare. Especially when you consider the time that he was held captive. I mean, he, he was, mm. he was in captivity for 977 days. I mean, yeah. he says himself that after the first year, he gave up all hope of ever returning back to back to his life and back to his family and i mean that that's just absolutely mad like to, to think that you could be gone for for that period of time now you, you might ask why did it take two years and, and 10 months for that ransom to be paid and it's, it's because the somalis up to that point were demanding 20 million dollars for him for, <laughs> yes. for no no for no apparent reason um and it was only towards the the very end when i, I think the the crew almost got fed up of holding him and he started to have some health issues that they finally decided to renegotiate the price. But it, yeah, it's, it's, this is what makes it so mad. Like obviously being kidnapped and being captured is everybody's worst nightmare, but being held for two years and 10 months, is just incredible. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I, th I think that one of the reasons they, they had that r ransom at $20 million was because um, their peers, if you will, the ones who are out there um, capturing uh, capturing freighters, um, you typically be able to get a, a, a huge amount of money. You're in the tens of millions off of a shipping company through their insurance for a, for a ship. So when they capture an American, they kind of translate that to Western product, Western money. So that so that, so I think that's kind of the reason why they were demanding so so much. And he, he also mentioned that there are two other people. Uh, who are being held captive, who are actually rescued by the U.S. Marine Corps, who were, were oh no, sorry, it was two other people, the, the two, two fellow, two African people from Seychelles who were captured and they were valued at 10 million each. So he had another theory that maybe it was for the American, they they doubled that. But in, in any case, you know, for for a journalist, not, not a celebrity, for just a regular guy to be demanding $20 million, I think it just shows kind of, the lack of professionalism, if you will, that they weren't the most uh, sophisticated uh, criminals. Okay, well, well let, let's take a step back from his story for a minute, and, and let's let, let's strip this right down to the beginning. Um, mm. We haven't really decided how we're going to structure this podcast. We're, we're just going to talk and see where it takes us. But let, 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 let's look at Somalia for a second, and there'll be people out there that genuinely have no idea where Somalia is or, or any sort of its you know, geographical or, or political background. I, I mean, it's, it's, you're the, you're the politics student, Joe. Do you want to give us a, a brief um, summary of, of Somalian history in the 20th century? Really brief. Yeah, so, yeah, very brief. So Somalia is in the east coast of Africa, um, neighboring Ethiopia to the, to the west, Kenya to the north, and it would have been under Italian control in the 20th century. Italy was had that had colonies in 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 the eastern part of Africa. It's a Muslim country, like the the majority of of, of the north of Africa, and it's extremely poor. So there there's very 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 little in 
excuse me, my microphone dropped. There's very, very little infrastructure there. There, um, pr th There's very little civil service. There's very little um, legal business. I think one of the things that was that Joe Rogan actually was able to, to get across very well in the podcast was that these guys are effectively businessmen. It's just, it's an illicit business. And the, the, two, two of the main paths for young men, uh, because there is a significant military in, uh, in Somalia, are to go and, and, and join Al-Shabaab, which is the main terrorist group there. They're affiliated with Al-Qaeda, or to become pirates, because they would have had a, a lot of young men have a background in, in military training. So those are two possible avenues. But that aside, the absolute majority of Somalis get by on less than a dollar a day. And the, there, there's just no infrastructure. There's no jobs. They don't, it's, it's incomparable to how we live life in the Western world. Outside of, of major capital cities in, in Africa, this is something I've spoken um, at, at length about to, to one of my friends, or our friends, even Joe, who, who's done a lot of work with the UN and a lot of um, peace, peace projects in Mozambique and in Africa. Like the, the corruption levels in Africa are absolutely insane, you know, and I don't mean to generalize and I'm not having a pop at African people, but structurally and, and fundamentally, like when Africa was divided up by European colonialists um, post-World War, there, there was no thought given to how these countries would, would manage themselves down the line. So, I mean, outside of the, the main municipal district of the, of the cities, the governments and the police force have very little say as to what goes on. So it, we're talking about Somalia here, and it, it's the it's these pirate groups as, as they become known. Look, they're not really pirates. We'll, we'll talk a bit about you know their why they have that name and, and what goes on at sea, but they're gangsters and or they're organised crime. They they but they do also run towns, cities, and villages around Somalia, and they they provide the infrastructure and, and they provide the jobs and and they are the police and you know it, they're they are accountable for the people of those towns and cities. They're, they're pirate towns or gangster towns, essentially. And it, it's it's very different. So, I mean, like you said there, you've got the choice. If you don't want to look after sheep on the side of a mountain for 70 cents a day, you know, your only two options are, are to get involved in some form of crime, you know, mm -hmm. and it, it, it's just money. And as Michael Scott Moore says, he sympathized almost with a lot of the lower ranking guys that he spent time with. Not all of them. He said about half of the people that he interacted with were quite sympathetic towards him. And he actually developed some form of human connection with these guys. And he started to understand who they were and where, where they came from. Lots of them didn't want to do this forever. They wanted out of it. They just wanted to make some money so that they could have a better life at one stage or another. Yeah. I, I... He also said that they often left uh, AK-47s lying around and he half he was half-minded to pick one up and started start firing at everyone. So obviously there's mixed emotions <laughs> there. Um, but 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 I, I think, I mean, it'd be difficult to be in that situation and not, you know, to, to get to know a country like Somalia, see the systemic poverty, the complete lack of opportunity for anyone. And this is like, as we're saying, this is one of two routes along with a terrorist organization where you can get in, you can work your way up and you can actually make some money. And that's it. And, you know, so I think you have to, people have to be able to understand that these guys aren't, aren't evil. This is the, the, these are the options that they have available if they don't want to have a terrible life economically. I mean, they'll still have a bad life economically, but it'd be considerably better than, if they were herding sheep for 50 cent a day or whatever it is. Like we said, the, they're known as pirates because obviously they, they have a reputation for capturing ships at sea and, and holding the, the crew and the cargo ransom. Now, this, this was actually quite a noble thing that they started doing in the early 90s after the collapse of the government. They, because there was no Navy patrolling the seas, the, the boats of, of local militia would go out to guard the waters from foreign fishermen stealing their fish. And even it, it, it came out after the tsunami in 2004 that the, um, the Italian mafia had been dumping waste off the Somali coast and off the Horn of Africa um, illegally. Lots of this washed up with the tsunami and it became apparent that, you know, 
nobody was looking after these waters. So they would go and they, they'd find fishing ships that were there illegally or whoever it was, and they'd detain these ships and they'd demand uh, basically a license fee that they pay for what they're taking before they release them. And this slowly evolved into, you know, capturing bigger ships that crossed through and eventually giant cargo ships before they were all armed with, um, you know, personal security and, and stuff like this. So it was, it was quite a noble thing originally, and it, it was very kind of, um, I, I don't know what the word for it is, um, but it, it, it was in the national interest and in the interest of the people at, at the beginning to do this. And it, it evolved into all sorts of other things uh, along with, you know, drugs trade, weapons trade, and, you know, the trade of people. It, but this is what it evolved into. And this is what's become more popular since, you know, the, the ships have become more protected. We don't hear really anything about Somali pirates anymore. This was in 2012 that he was captured and, since going to there in 13, 14, it, it's heavily kind of declined. Yeah, this is it. Um, that, 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 that is not, it's not something that's happened. And, and this is something that Michael Scott Morris said on the podcast himself was that he went there to write a story on this and then he became the story. And, and, and since he got out, the, 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 that story and his ability to write the story he, he, he wanted to write uh, wasn't possible. Um, but, but I mean, this is just a, it's a forgotten country. Like a lot of countries in Africa, it's, it's a, and, around, and, and around the world, it's a forgotten country where there's, where there's very little hope. And um, I mean, these people don't really have another option, do they, Rafe, than to go into a, into a, into a life of crime. But I suppose the wider question then for people like ourselves to be asking and anyone who's interested in these sort of topics is that how... Because I don't believe that this is an issue that the Somalia can solve itself. I think that if it was, then it, 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 perhaps it would have been solved already. But again, Somalia is a relatively young country, so to speak, uh, with with everything going against it. But you 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 have to wonder: Are organisations like the United Nations doing enough to help Africa? But it goes beyond the United Nations, obviously. Again, another another great stat from. That, that Joe Rogan show was that I think only 1% of the world take home more than $30,000 a year. And, you know, we look at this from Europe and we think, oh my God, look at these people and what they're doing. But it, it's a totally different perspective outside of, of where we come from and, and how we see it. So look, I, I don't, I don't, we're, we're going down a very sympathetic path for these guys. And, and let's not forget, <laughs> let, let, let's come back to the story a little bit because this, mm. 10 days into his trip to, to Somalia, um, Michael Scott Moore, you know, he was he was dragged out of his car. He was beaten um, with guns. He, he had his glasses smashed. He couldn't see for most of the time that he was in captivity. He had his wrist yeah. broken straight away, you know. And um, like these guys, these guys, they're they're nasty people that are doing it. You know, they're not they're not all friendly. And he said he got he, he sympathized to a degree with up to half the people. But like you said, he also regularly contemplated opening fire on them and sacrificing his own life you know yeah yeah no i i agree we we have been far too sympathetic and and that's because we're coming at it from a sympathetic background we're thinking you know we're, we're, we we've been coming at it purely from a from a socioeconomic perspective and thinking you know that there's really no route apart from uh, piracy or terrorism for these guys to 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 go down and of course that's not true you know, there you, you there are other things you could, you could be doing, but it's not easy. And these are the easy routes, and and these are the routes where you have your peers. So there there'll be peer pressure to join up with these organizations. And I think if if you, if one thing they're saying, if you, if you want to if you want to take a wife, it's seen as very manly to go and uh, partake in piracy or in terrorism. If if you're looking at my screen, you might see that I'm holding up a. A USB in input cable here. Did you forget I, I, to plug in your microphone? Yeah, my microphone is not. I'm, I'm still talking into it, even though it's not plugged in. So hopefully the audio quality from my end is. Uh, I did. Is a, I did. I did notice it wasn't the same as usual. Well, but I maybe you could have spoken up then, Joey. I think um, I was too in interested in drinking my drinks, Rafe. <laughs> hello, <laughs> the true crime special. I hope that sounds a little bit better. Oh, that that, that is much better. That is much much better. Um, we digress. Where were we? We oh I had just been um, been we we were just about to say that basically it's not the only path for these young men to go down, and 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 that it doesn't excuse this sort of behavior is not acceptable. 
No, and look, but, like um, you said, the, the, these guys are are gangsters. At the end of the day, like the. Michael's got more described being driven around in in luxury SUVs the whole time, you know, with with the guys bragging about the the worth of their weapons. And that's that's another thing. Yeah, that's another thing. Yeah. Wearing 500 bullet vests and a bullet would be, what did he say? One dollar. So that's like that's effectively their bling. And then they had the latest smartphones. So, I mean, they're not spending their money in the right way. They are gangsters. They're showing off that they have. There's also a massive drugs problem um, within Somali culture and culture in, in that part of the world. Um, what's the plant called? Cat. Cat. Yeah, it's essentially a, a chewable plant that will get you nice and high and, and it's a stimulant, but there's a, a nasty crash afterwards. So you basically get up, you start chewing this shit all day, you know, until you've got a bit of a buzz on, you crash at night and you get up and, and you repeat it. And it's an incredibly expensive habit. And that's essentially like we talk about, you know, the, the these underdogs coming up from, you know, working class Somalia trying to find it. They're like, they are all drug addicts at, at the end of the day, you know, and that the, the, not, not all I mean, of Somalia, but the, this pirate culture, you know, they, they sit around, they, they eat this shit all day. They, they, it gets it gets them really agitated, you know. They fight with each other. They they knock the head off each other. They're really rude, really irritable, and then they pass out at the end of the day, and they get up and, and do it again. They're like they're all of this piracy. Like obviously, there, there's massive amounts of cash that are getting funneled into really disturbing, you know, human trafficking channels, and the rest of it gets spent on on weapons and and drugs. Like this is, I mean, the part that shocked me the most was the human trafficking. When they when they started talking about um, the other side of the business, I mean the 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 arms. I think they're not. I don't know. I think they're not maybe that involved in arms. It's more bringing arms into the country, perhaps passing them to to to, to into Ethiopia or something. But the, the the when when they started talking about sending people up to Libya, that was that was pretty disturbing. Yeah, that that was pretty disturbing. Um, yeah, people, but people would look for a safe passage into Libya or into Sudan to get out of Somalia because Somalia is an awful place to be. And like people are thinking like, wait, hang on, you're a refugee and you want to go to Libya or you want to go to Sudan. And like, this is how bad Somalia is and how bad the living conditions are. Like that's their idea of prosperity is to get into Libya. Like, but so that they'll pay these pirates or these traffickers to, to get them across the border and they'll willingly climb into the back of these trucks and the back of these vans. But then once they cross the border, they suddenly become prisoners and, and captives and they end up being, you know, being sold off at, at slave auctions um, down the same routes that, that slavery has, has always had in that part of the world. It's, it's the same, the same that we see with, you know, poor Eastern Europeans and, and poor Asians and poor Africans coming into Europe and coming into Britain. They all come looking for safe passage. They all, they all, come voluntarily and willingly and they, they actually pay to come here but then when they get out of the lorry at the other side they're not being given passports and being set up with jobs they're being bundled into into brothels or, or being sold off to the highest bidder. Mm. and so i mean it, it, that's that's really dark to think about you know and and it, it, things could definitely be worse like you know he he was he was fed every day and he, he i'm not saying he made friends with these cap- captors but i mean a lot of people. A lot of people end up much worse off than than poor old Michael Scott. Like, yeah, I think, like I said at the start of the, there are just so many ways in over nine hundred, just over nine hundred days that you would die in those conditions. I, I, I mean, being killed because the ransom isn't being paid. They could have easily killed him. It's more expensive to keep him alive after that amount of time, uh, killing himself, dying because of health reasons. I mean, at the end, he said he, d- he developed a fairly serious skin disease, lost over 60 pounds in body weight. And I mean, he doesn't look like a particularly heavy guy on the Joe Rogan experience. He, either. He, he had a lung infection. He had an ear infection. He had yeah. stuff coming up all over his skin. Like, I mean, without antibiotics, it's very easy to die from a run of the mill ear infection or, or any type Dude, of infection. He, he, even you know, exhaustion and, and heat stroke. If, you, if you're mm. malnourished and, you, and you're, you know, you're in a, a clay hut in, in Somalia and the sun's getting into it and or wherever you are, you know? You know what else? Especially psychologically, after he made that decision after a year, and he did say because that for him was the only way that he could keep going. But when you psychologically check out and you don't have anything to hope for, then I think that that has uh, ramifications for your physiological state as well. 
Well, we'll talk a little bit about how he got by for a minute, but he says that there was a five-month period that uh, just after the first year where he essentially mm. gave up hope, but it was also mm. the best five months of his captivity when he was on board what? this ship. He was, he, was think- t- he was taken from land and put yes. onto a, a recently seized um, you know, cargo it ship. Chinese, it was a Chinese vessel with tons of Chinese food. Which they all ate, <laughs> <laughs> but it, there, there were there was workers from all over Southeast Asia on it, from from mm-hmm. Indonesia, from China, from all sorts of places. Uh, Twenty eight of, of these workers. Now these guys, Joe, were held for five years, five mm-hmm. years before they were eventually freed. Which is in like we talk about two month, two years and ten months is crazy. But I mean, five years is just mad. But imagine, okay, so you're Michael Scott. You've been held for a year in Somalia, you know, and you're, the negotiations are ongoing with your family the whole time. You're thinking maybe the Navy SEALs are coming for me. And then all of a sudden you're put in the back of this SUV, you're driven to, you don't know where you end up at a dock and you're loaded onto this ship full of Asian prisoners. And you sail out to sea. How are you feeling? I, I think you've, you've described perhaps one of the absolute worst case scenarios you could anyone could possibly describe. I, I, the, the fact that he said that that were the best, that was the best period, shows how terrible the rest of his time was. Imagine that you're you're fair, you're you're <laughs> you're taking off land onto it, man. They could have been going anywhere. I, 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 to th- clarify, th- I think I think it was the best period because firstly the food was better, and also because and he had company. some some company. He was on his own more or less, aside from his guards, um, while he was on land, but. He, there were five of the crew spoke English. They were Indonesian and he, they, they developed a, what he, what he referred to as a, pig, a pigeon language, you know, that was part Chinese, part English that people could, you know, communicate with each other. They, they slept in dorms with, with 10 people, you know, rather than being chained up um, in a bed under a mosquito net by himself, you know, like I know you're on a ship, but it is, the, it makes a difference. Like, yeah, I think the camaraderie and the fact that, how did he describe the food when it was when he was on land? It was plain goat, boiled goat, and boiled beans, plain. Yeah, I think that was what he was eating. I mean, to have a bit of Chinese rice and and something with a bit of flavor would do you the world of good. And and I think most importantly, man, the company. Oh yeah, certainly. To to, to, re- to realize that you're not in it alone. To see that people are surviving for longer periods than you've been there and. To, to to know that the more time you're there, I suppose the the the, the more chance, the greater the chance that of the of um of the the U.S. Navy or the U, U.S. Uh, Marines coming and 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 getting you, and knowing that that they had recently uh, rescued two people in a very similar location as well. Yeah, but I don't think he knew that they had been rescued. He said, he said that the pirates oh, told him that, that the hostages had been killed. That's, that, that's true. Apologies, <laughs> that's true. He only found out they'd been rescued afterwards, and then he developed a relationship with them. Yeah, the hostage, the the his his cap, his guards told told him that they'd been killed. That was something that that I found very interesting. Is the spin that the pirates used to kind of talk themselves up and to to make it seem. Like to the hostages, like they were much more successful than they actually were, and I, I think I mentioned it at the start of the the show. It re- they really came across as extremely amateur. Yeah, and I, I think across that, the board that that's what he says himself that they started with this twenty million dollar you know uh, bound uh, reward. What what is this? Um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Twenty million dollar ransom. Ransom at, at yeah. the start, I and mean, it's twenty million dollars. You know. And there was no rhyme or reason to that figure. This guy was just a journalist from Los Angeles. You know, where was this 20 million going to come from? You know, the US government were not paying 20 million for one man and his safety. His family did not have that kind of money. You know, his work did not have that kind of money. And they just kind of left him. You know, they're like, oh, yeah, well, pay it or we'll keep him. And he was kept for, for just a crazy amount of time until he, until he ended up on his last legs. And, and he said that some of the crew were threatening to go on strike after a while because they were fed up of, of detaining him. You know, they're like, why are we still keeping this guy? They're not paying us $20 million. It's been, it's been nearly three years, lads. Like, come on. And yeah. So like, like you said at the start, he wasn't a giant cargo ship full he he wasn't worth that much in terms of goods. Mm. The the insurance wasn't going to cover that because 
that he wasn't worth that to anybody. Like there was no company that's like, they've got $50 million worth of our stock. It's worth our while to pay 20 million to get it back. Like, you know, there, this rationale never happened anywhere. I think it, I think it shows how uneducated they are and how, how, you know, it's a, it's a very tough subject to talk about, but I'm going to say you have to understand the asset that you have. And he was an asset for them and they didn't understand his background. I mean, they all had smartphones. They could have Googled, but I, I suppose for them, if they're Googling him and, they, and he comes up and he has, you know, a verified Twitter account because he's a journalist or something like that. They see that he's, he's living in Berlin and he's report, he's writing these books. It, it, perhaps it would be only natural if they thought that he has a lot of money, but you know, a, a journalist doesn't make a lot of money. I mean, they can make a good, they can, they can make a decent living, but it's not the amount of money that they're talking about. That's just, it's, it's a different kettle of fish. So they didn't understand it. They don't know what those numbers mean, man, is what I'm trying to say. And I'm not, I hope I'm not coming across as harsh, but I really don't think they know what $20 million is. <laughs> <laughs> they remind me of, um, of, of some football club owners, Joe, that are incredibly reluctant to let go of, of some of their players, you know, that aren't, are, that are no longer playing for their team and yes. that they want to move and other clubs want to buy them, but they say, no, we need this much money for them. And everyone, why that much? It doesn't make any sense. You can't just exactly. demand a massive profit for, for somebody that that's not worth that much money, you know? And it, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I can think of a few football clubs that come to mind that fit that, Moles, yeah, but unfortunately. We're, we're, not, we're, we're not we're not doing football though. Absolutely not. Yeah. I, I suppose the other the other side of it, we like we we've looked at it from from his point of view. We we'll come back to him in a minute. And we've looked at it from the pirates' point of view. The other the other side of it is his family, man at home. You know, and that that's what he said was the hardest part. Like he, he he thought about taking on the Somalis to get out and he knew it would cost him his life if he, if he picked up that gun because he might take out six or seven of them, but there was always another 10, you know, then half of them were awake and half of them were asleep and he, he, he'd get killed eventually. He thought about turning the gun on himself because it would put his family, it would stop the, the suffering for them. You know, they wouldn't be worrying about him every day. It, it, he wouldn't be putting the, the lives of, you know, any rescue teams at, at risk or anything like this, you know? And like, it must be, it must be incredibly difficult f- for those people. Like you think about journalists traveling all over the world and, and the risks that they take to, to report on these stories. But yeah. I think for me, that's the next question that, that that's the next thing that I'd, I'd like to discuss is, is it worth it? And But I think the answer has to be yes. Well, he got home, you know, he sees the, his the, mum the, now and they're the, going for drives but, and they both appreciate life considerably more in the present. 99, ti- 99 times out of 100, he gets killed or he dies some way. The th- the, the, what, what I mean, is it worth it? That's, I, I think that this is, Man, he, he knew the risks. He knew the risks. I, I don't want to be coming across as harsh. He hired a local security team because he knew the risks. There's yeah, every look, chance that, that he that, that you get cut. I wouldn't do it. He says you? himself, he'd gone to report in the Gaza Strip. He, he traveled he to had, n- yeah. northern Iraq to do stories there. Like this, this is a guy who regularly took his life into his own hands to, to report on what are absolutely crazy news stories you know and he was playing with fire to a degree but we need these news stories i think i i mean this i, I think this is one of the, the one of the most amazing things about the modern world is that how I, and i mean this doesn't really fall into the into the category of globalization because it's not you know one country <laughs> merging with another for economic for economic benefits or you know, there's no, nothing to do with trade. It's it's um, independent journalists risking their lives to go and report in, uh, in and on some of the most um, inaccessible places in the world. I mean, who would go to Iraq or, or right now Syria or to, to, to Libya or to North Korea or, you know, Iran, all of all of these places, it takes a huge amount of courage to to decide that you're going to go as a journalist, as a Western journalist, and report from one of these one, one of these places. But if if people didn't, 
then we wouldn't know exactly what was going on. We wouldn't we wouldn't have information about um, what what are perceived to be inaccessible parts of the world. It's not just the journalists though that get kidnapped. Like there there was these Asian fishing. Uh, fishermen that that were kidnapped and there are local fishermen that get kidnapped and there are even local people that that get kidnapped and and kidnapping is a massive problem around the world and somalia and the pirates have a reputation for it but if you look if you look at south america or if you look Mm. across africa or or the middle east or wherever like kidnapping is it's horrible man like imagine getting that phone call like randomly to say that one of your loved ones is gone until you can come up with a massive sum of money and then even if you come up with the money there's no guarantee that you get them back and my wife's brother got kidnapped <laughs> i'm sure i told you that in the past it, absolutely in mexico absolutely mental you're completely right and anywhere where there's um systemic poverty there's money to be made from from, from that sort of behavior um and and, and i think it's, especially if you're if you're white in these places you're perceived to have money. I don't mean fair enough. You have more money than the people who are kidnapping you. But at the end of the day, but to put in in Michael Scott's case here, did he have Mm. more money than the gang that kidnapped him? (laughs) Yeah. Well, (laughs) did, did he have, you know, 10 Land Rovers and a hundred new iPhones and, etc I, I i don't know I, I i'd imagine he would have he would have a decent amount of, you know i'm not saying he's rich you know i'd imagine he could he could take if, if after he's a, himself if he's a journalist living in berlin he's got what like 10 grand in his bank account maybe himself you know maybe a bit more maybe he owns a house worth a couple hundred grand but i mean man if these guys are demanding 20 million dollar ransoms for a shit you know mm. If they if, if they take out a, a ship or you know a, a person or or anything and they can they can demand even one million for anything once ever, that's more money than most people will ever make or have in their life. Like agreed, yeah, yeah. So there, there does come a point where, like I said, we identified with these guys a bit at the start, coming from their poor backgrounds. But the leaders of these gangs, man, and that, that, that's what they are. They're they're gangs, and the leaders of these guys gangs are incredibly rich. You know, we, we've incredibly all, selfish as well. We've all seen Captain Phillips. And it's funny because he says that, you know, the guards were all watching Captain Phillips on their phone and he got to see a bit of it while he was over there. He watched Captain Phillips while he was a prisoner in Somalia, like, which is insane. But we've all seen that scene at the start where, you know, Captain Phillips, oh, there's there's a hundred grand in the safe or 10 grand in the safe or whatever it is. Take that, you know, and your man's like, I don't need that. I have 50 million dollars in my bank account at home. The leader of the gang. This isn't about money. Like, you know, this is about this is what we do. This isn't about your money. Like there's a crazy amount of money tied up in, in, in this. This is, the, this, this is a crazy thing. And obviously you mentioned earlier on that um, certainly a lot of these coastal towns and cities in, in, in Somalia are controlled by these gangs who are effectively known as, as pirates. But the money doesn't get spread out evenly among society. It would be kind of more, it wouldn't be more acceptable because this is, this is not a correct way to be an ethic in any way means an ethical way to be making money. But I think the fact that the money doesn't, doesn't get spread out among society is even worse. And I think that that kind of should end any sympathy that we might have right for these young men for, we don't have sympathy for the older ones, for the bosses. We have sympathy for the young ones who, don't really see any other path and i wouldn't really call it sympathy but maybe understanding is a better word well you, you talk about sympathy with these guys and at the end of at the end of the joe rogan pod the, the probably the most mind-blowing thing um mm. michael says that he gets contacted on facebook by one of the guys one of one of his captors you know one of the guys who he who he would have spoken to a lot, one of the more sympathetic pirates actually reaches out to him and, you know, sends him a message. And, you know, that's just absolutely insane. I, I mean, you get, you, you, I, I would get freaked off enough if I got like a, a message of someone that I used to know way back. And like so, somebody I, from I, school, I, you know, that exactly. you haven't spoken to in 10 years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's kind of like, oh, hold on a second. But someone who, actively held you prisoner for almost three years and who you know was part of a 
a, a gang that were treating you like that for so long. It's, it's absolutely. But the, the thing that, that, that really struck me was that they communicate. They correspond. Yeah, they have I mean, a relationship. He, he didn't accept. He didn't accept his friend request, but they they chat via Facebook Messenger. Yeah, the fact that he he engaged him, he didn't even just block him straight away, or you know, report him to the FBI or whatever. You know, mm. he he read his message and thought about it and sent him back a message. And and whether like that message wasn't like, hey man, what's going on? Miss you loads or whatever. But like you said, the fact that there is correspondence there is just. Uh, but he was saying that this is what he was saying was that the junior guards the, that he was almost friends with them that he considered. I don't think he half, went that far. It, it was all like that. They Joe Rogan directly asked him, "Did you make friends with them?" And he said, "Yeah, with some of them, it was almost like that." I don't think he went. He didn't go that far to say they were his friends, but they 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 had they could talk together. Do you know what I mean? They could get on. It'd be like getting on with your prison guards, I suppose. You wouldn't be friends with them. They'd still be controlling you and not, uh, do you know what I mean? But you would be able to have a conversation with them. He spoke about how hard it was to readapt to society, to Western society after that. And look, I know it's not a direct comparison, but it reminded me of, of people coming out of prison, man, you know? Absolutely. And when you hear Michael talk about it. You have a lot of sympathy for Michael because he wasn't, you know, he wasn't a, a bank robber or he wasn't a, a rapist or a murderer or he hadn't committed some... Or a pirate. Or he hadn't committed some sort of horrible crime, you know? So you thought, oh God, this poor guy or whatever. But when you hear about how it... Now, look, obviously the conditions that he were in are, are considerably worse than the conditions in, in most Western countries in terms of prisons. But the, the idea of coming out and, you know, not being able to settle in social environments, not being able to read social cues, you know, feeling anxious in, in large public spaces because you're hypervigilant, you know, is is there are too many people here, you know, who's looking at me? Is someone gonna is someone gonna attack me? You know, I can't see behind me. And that in, in some of the more dangerous prisons, that this is a real mentality that people would get into. And you know, coming out, I, you do wonder how beneficial it is to to lock anybody up in a prison because if they're going to get out at some stage they're only going to be in a worse mental state than when they went in well i think that's that uh, that's well it's very relevant to the discussion that we're having um both of us are quite liberal with our views on um the prison system and 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 punishment However, there, there, there are definitely people in society who are a danger to, to, to the rest of the population and, and, and have no right, have committed uh, actions that, that lead um, the state with no other option but to lock them away for the rest of their lives. I, would, I, I mean, I'm talking about people that are getting reintroduced to society after two mm. or three years. You know, they're being sent in surrounded by other criminals and expected to come out a better person but this is the, this is the thing is that prison sentences like that and just being in there in, inside and obviously we don't know what that's like but being, it's different in different it, countries and it, in different it, prisons it, 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 it is but there are so many different ways in which you can get radicalized inside you you, you could become an islamic terrorist you could um become very well acquainted with um local drug gangs you could you know, befriend any sort of 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 degenerate person who who would lead you to what what I, what I'm basically trying to say is that a prison sentence or, or a punishment needs to be re reformative. That has to be the absolute. That has to be the aim of of any form of punishment. Is that how do we make sure that first of all this person doesn't do this act again, commit an act like this again, but. The way that prison sentences are structured is that let's 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 punish them as severely as possible, and then we'll just reintroduce them to society. And that punishment, in their mind, it'll be enough to make them never, never commit an act like that again. But as 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 we both know, Rafe, for most people, that's only the beginning, and you might get tossed in, you might get get put in jail for you know. Uh, a, a minor, you know, a, a theft or um, getting in a fight and, and and knocking someone out and 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 
you could get arrested for that and, and, and put in prison for that. Non, non-violent drug offences. A non-violent drug offence, exactly. You could be holding for someone else. <laughs> someone could have left something in, in, a, in a place in your house and you, you know what I mean? Any, any, anything. And, the, and from then on, it's just a domino effect and you just keep on picking up more offences and you, you become a repeat offender. The, the emphasis has to be on taking care of these people while they're inside, but when they get out, absolutely making sure that they reacclimatize. And, and there has to be paths when people are in, and we've got onto prison now, not, um, not kidnapping, but it, in prison, there have to be paths for people to pursue um, apprenticeships and qualifications and to be able to, to go directly into employment when they get out and, and to remove the stigma around having a criminal record. Yeah, I'd, I'd certainly agree with all of that. Like M- M- Michael says that he passed his time w- once he accepted, you know, that he wasn't getting out again, that he stopped waiting for it to be rescued the next day or waiting for a deal to be done after the first year or so. He started writing books in his head and memorizing passages. And, you know, he, he did two hours of what he called writing every day, even though he didn't have a pen and paper for most of the time. I mean, I think that's incredible. Mm. Obviously, you have to do something with your thoughts. You can't just stare at a wall thinking, wow, those bricks are red or whatever it is. Like, you, you, your mind goes somewhere. But as as a writer, like he was, like, I mean, it's obviously an incredible story. And he spoke really, really well. And he has he has a book out on it, if anybody's interested in in reading it. It's called uh, the, the Desert and the Sea, 700 and, or 977 Days in Captivity. Um, and I'd probably go and read it now, to be honest, after after listening to him speak for, for an hour and a half on Joe Rogan, because it's, it's just, it's an incredible story. And I'd love to hear how he's actually written it after all this time and how he has put it together. Um, but it shows you that like, you know, no matter what kind of adversity you're, you're coming up against, you can always, you can learn from anything, man. And, and you can make, you can make something out of something bad. Like, and I like that part of it. I, I liked it as well. And I thought that that was great because he's a writer. He didn't have, I, I think it just showed how much of a writer he is and what being a writer actually is, is that he didn't have the tools to uh, work about his craft, but he memorized uh, prose in his head, like pages. And then when he, had, he, he eventually got pen and paper, he said that he, he remembered it all. I, I mean, Man, it shows how how strong the human mind is. It, it, it is impossible for us to comprehend that. I, I can't think about that. Two years and eight months in a Somali, not even prison, being held captive by Somali pirates in, in a variety of, 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 of locations. I, I mean, who else? Has, and get living to tell the tale. you'd count on one hand the amount of people who have been in that situation in the modern world and then man the number of people that would want to come out and talk about it afterwards like Mm. i mean like that that would ruin most people most people would never leave their house again you know they or they they just turn to alcoholism or drugs or whatever it was and just lock themselves away and spiral off into like an absurd depression but he had to he had to he was he was a he's a writer and he went there to write a story about somali pirates and that story ended up becoming himself, but he 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 fulfilled his uh, his purpose of going to Somalia. It's interesting talking about piracy. Um, that look, like we said, it's not a, it's not such a big issue anymore in in, in Somalia. It, they've shifted their focus more towards weapons and people or whatever it is, which is lovely. Um, but. He was saying that he, he became interested in the story in Germany because of the law situation over there, that because mm. Germany itself is, is such a newly formed state, that there were no laws really regarding piracy in, in the constitution. And even though it was the, the Dutch Navy that, that captured these guys that initially drew his attention, um, the Dutch wanted absolutely nothing to do with prosecuting them. They said, look, we're only going to intervene for you guys if you're going to be the ones prosecuting them because we're not dealing with them. You know, he said that the, like the people that were convicted in those trials for whatever it was, attempting to, to ambush this cargo ship got an average of seven years. And then they all went back to Somalia safely. And, and most of them probably just returned to a life of, of organized crime. Like, and you kind of wonder, like, I know we spoke about prisons a minute ago, but you kind of wonder what the point of that is, you know? 
I don't think there's any point. I, I mean, what it's 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 it, it shows to the shipping country that we're on your side as the as the state that you pay taxes in, and anyways, these people who um, stole your product or your you know a part of your company uh, are going to be punished by us. So it, it, that that's the the message it sends that we've got your back. <laughs> that being said. What good does it do to the to, to, to those men? They're they're and going back to some, you know, what good does it do? Would it do them better to to, to grant them? Well, I suppose you can't grant them citizenship to Germany. That's what that's you know they committed. I was thinking I'm a liberal, but that's a bit like hey, good. No, 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 no. I wasn't. I was. We're 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 doing a podcast. We're having a chat about it. That wasn't something. That's something that popped into my head. That's not something I believe. That's not something that I that I think. Even I'm supposed to be the conservative of the two of us. <laughs> um, man, I, lo- I I lost my train of thought with that brain fart. Um, I, I I like what what what? How, how does that benefit Somalia? That they're gone. They're just going to be more people coming in, filling their their shoes. And, and the endless to... supply of people coming in. You yeah, know exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So look, we we could, I suppose sit here all day talking about you know how we could solve the problem of piracy in Africa but that's a whole completely other political debate that I think most people don't really want to hear you know about about do people want to hear about the political issues in Africa man I don't I don't know that they do people people came here for the pirates man <laughs> we, we we promised them we promised them a true crime story we promised them you know a crazy story and i think we we've more or less delivered on that yeah i agree it's an utterly unique story and it'll be hard to top this one but i'm going to be actively researching for next month's edition of this podcast have we got a name for the for the true crime podcast yet or we just call it the pfp true crime podcast i think we just call it the pfp pfp yeah pfp media true crime podcast i think that's what we'll what we'll call it episode one (laughs) Okay, well, look, this this, is, this has been the, the PFP Media True Crime Podcast, episode one. The focus on Michael Scott Moore and the Somalia Pirates. His book is um, The Desert and the Sea, 977 Days in Captivity. I don't know if you want to order it, Joe, and I can just borrow it from you when you're finished because I'm a bit cheap like that, or if I might have to, you know get Hannah to buy it, uh, recommend it to her and, and and then read it when she's finished. Well, uh, Hannah likes true crime, doesn't she? She does. And she likes reading books as well. She, she's very yeah. impressive that way. So I might, ha- might have to do that. Um, but I will read that book at some stage because I am really looking forward to it. And to be honest, Joe, great shout. I, I've really enjoyed talking about it. I really enjoyed listening to it earlier. And yeah, I'm looking forward to the next one. Absolutely. And thanks for listening, guys. We're excited to do this. And it won't be as regular as the football one, but it'll be as regular as we can make it. Yeah. All right. Well, look, thanks. And we will see you next time.